and welcome to Asylum Stories. This is the podcast where we talk all things asylum related, the history and the patient experiences. I'm Hannah. I'm Scott. And this is episode six. Episode six. And we've been away for over a week. Yeah, we've been busy. Busy bees. You've been very busy. I started my new job and it's taken up a little bit of time just getting used to it. Um, But I'm getting there. Getting into the swing of it. Yeah. So we don't have a game review this week. Just not had any time, have we? No. All we've really done, to be honest, is watch Modern Family. It's been fun, though. <laughs> <while> we... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not had much time to sink hours into a horror game, though. So. No, but it was Halloween, and we did um, spend some time with the trick-or-treaters that came round the, to the door. Yeah, and someone stole our pumpkin. Yeah, someone stole the pumpkin from the front garden. I take it as a compliment they stole my pumpkin, but at the same time, I'm a wee bit disappointed, you know? Yeah, but then our next-door neighbour said that they... Her daughter had found smashed up pumpkins in a few streets over, so... They also stole her pumpkin as well. Yeah, we live in a, a fairly nice place, I would say. Mm-hmm. I don't, we don't live in a posh place by any means, but we live in a very family-oriented kind of place. I mean, to give a kind of uh, an idea of the type of place we live in, we've got people who walk around and like pick up rubbish from bushes in their spare time. With signs littered around the place saying, please don't ruin this beautiful, natural spot of the estate. And it's literally just a patch of grass, which is nice. And we have a woman that has a chicken. We've got a woman who's got a chicken. So it's a nice place. It's not a posh place. I want to just... Sounds a bit weird, actually. <laughs> yeah, it does when I say all that. We've also got a woodland area, which has a fairy garden. Like, we have mushroom toadstools and a bush with, like, little notes which is asks you or encourages you to make a wish or to say a positive message you're digressing i am but it's a very random spot and i uh, we we always talk about this and i say i find it incredible that place hasn't been vandalized you're also digressing from the first point is that someone stole our pumpkin someone stole our pumpkin i wasn't happy about but hey ho are you ready for a story yes i am this week we're going to be talking about walter freeman walter freeman is known as the father of the lobotomy which is an infamous procedure that involves hammering an ice pick-like instrument into a patient's brain through the eye sockets. This procedure often left patients in a vegetative state. So the um, lobotomy was one of the treatments that we didn't explore in our treatment episode because this episode's all about lobotomies. And this is a very well-known procedure. Yeah. Which a lot of people would know without knowing much about procedures or asylums in general. I think everyone's probably came across the lobotomy mm-hmm. at some point in life, wherever again it's through TV or hearing about it in school or something. Walter Freeman was born on November the 14th, 1895, and was raised in Philadelphia. His father was an otolaryngologist, and his grandfather was a surgeon. Despite this, growing up, he did not express an interest in medicine. He graduated from Yale University and enrolled as a medical student at the University of Pennsylvania and completed his medical degree in 1920. He worked as a pathology intern at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania and then travelled to Europe to study neurology in 1923. He came back to the US a year later and was the first neurologist in Washington DC at a leading psychiatric hospital at the time. His initial perception of the hospital's patients was marked in fear and disgust. He described mental disorders as a social tragedy. He believed that these conditions came from neuronal function rather than unconscious mental processes. In 1926, 
Freeman began teaching and was appointed a professor of neurology and a chair of the neurology department at George Washington University. By the 1930s, he began to use oxygen therapy and began experimenting with chemical treatments for mental illnesses. In 1938, he started using electroshock therapy. However, in 1935, he learned of a frontal lobe ablation, which is the surgical removal of tissue. This technique had been used on chimpanzees in experiments. Following ablation, one of the animals in the study experienced reduced agitation upon making an incorrect choice during a memory task, although the operation had made the other chimpanzee in the study more agitated. It could be one or the other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't show that it worked. The same year, a Portuguese neurophysician tested this on a human subject. He experimented with ethyl alcohol, injecting the chemical through the holes in order to destroy the areas of tissue thought to be involved in causing mental illness. He created an instrument known as the leucotome, the procedure of drilling holes into the front of the head to create cores of brain matter became known as the prefrontal leucotomy. That sounds awful. <laughs> well, how did they manage to convince the, the first guy to try this out? Oh, you're joking. They didn't have any consent, probably. You describing that initial part at the beginning has really made me kind of, like, squirm. Freeman modified this procedure and called his version a lobotomy. He believed that excess emotions led to a mental illness and that cutting nerves in the brain could stabilise a person's personality. Freeman performed his first prefrontal lobotomy on a 63-year-old woman who was suffering from insomnia and agitated depression. He drilled six holes into the top of the patient's skull, and when it was finished, she emerged transformed and lived for another five years. It's, it's her living for another five years seen as a, as a good thing. Without this, would she have died within five years? Do you know what I mean? What was her age again? 63 at the time, and this is what, in the 19... 40s maybe so it depends what the life expectancy would be i mean 68's a, a good age i guess the question is i mean could, would you have lived five years without the thing without the procedure that's what i'm saying but another no would you have lived less than five years that's what i'm saying i just don't know if you can take that as a win yeah, I, I, I don't know if... You, it's hard to tell with a woman who's quite elderly, I'm not saying... At that time, she yeah. was elderly, yeah. He further modified this procedure and soon completed it without drilling into a person's skull. Instead, the patient was unconscious by electroshock and then a sharp ice pick-like instrument was inserted above the patient's eyeball. The instrument would be hammered into the skull and wiggled back and forth. The patient would wake up four hours later without anxiety, apparently. Do you know what that reminds me of? Like, do you know if you were to get a sharp object, mm-hmm. put it underneath your big toenail and kick a door? Oh. <laughs> it's like the same thing. Bend your eye. Oh. <laughs> the procedure resulted in leaving many patients in a vegetative state and reduced them to childlike behaviour. Many hospitals completed these procedures because lobotomised patients were easier to look after than patients who were agitated. Does that necessarily evidence of a good being a good thing? It's for convenience more than anything else. Yeah, exactly. It's more for convenience. It's not necessarily saying they're, they're doing it because this is in their best interest yeah. and this is the best treatment. It's the better of two evils, kind of. Freeman began travelling across the country and teaching this procedure. By 1949, 5,000 lobotomies were performed annually. 
Freeman lobotomised more than 2,900 patients, including 19 children under the age of 18. He started completing more than 20 lobotomies in a day. Apparently, he liked to shock his audiences and even inserted two picks into each eye socket at the same time. He allowed the media to watch a lobotomy that ended in a death. It is said that Freeman acted indifferently to the death and continued on to his next surgery. So the, this guy is playing a numbers game. Yeah, definitely. It's more um, about quantity than it is about quality. Yeah. What about sh- is he showboating? Yeah, definitely. Why would you put someone's potential... Woo, look at me. I can put two ice picks in his brain. Yeah, but the fact someone's died and then he's just been like, okay, well, on, on to, to the, the next, next one. one. Yeah. It'd be interesting if he was doing 20 a day on average how many would be dying a day. Mm-hmm. I bet he was showing off with the cameras. Oh, definitely. <laughs> The patients who survived were either crippled for life, living in a vegetative state, or had no noticeable differences. Freeman performed his last lobotomy in 1967, after a patient died following a brain hemorrhage. Either nothing changes, but you go through the traumatic experience of getting a sharp like needle poked into your eye, or you come off way worse, or die. Doesn't fill me with much confidence. Uh, if I was in the, the shoes of someone doing <laughs> going into this. Freeman's work had many supporters. However, he was arrogant and reckless, taking no notice of the lives placed in his hands. Of the many lobotomies he performed, it is estimated that 490 people died as a result of the treatment. His attitude and fatality rate, combined with a lack of interest in providing clear evidence for the procedure, left him with little authority in the medical community. However, it is said that he did want to help people with mental illnesses and that his desire to help was genuine. His work was groundbreaking for neurosurgery. Freeman died in 1972 following a complication from an operation for cancer. Many people don't believe Freeman to be evil, just misguided. Yeah, I think at the very beginning, um, his assessment on mental illness i think kind of showed him to be someone who you know who cared you know he had good intentions going into it i think he's just run with an idea and it's almost like he's too stubborn to look at the evidence of his thing and of his procedure and say actually this isn't working yeah i agree i am going to talk now about a man called howard dully this is a man who went through a lobotomy at the hands of walter freeman He was 11 at the time. It is said that he was withdrawn. He liked to ride his bike and play chess. He fought with his brother and disobeyed his parents and stole sweets from the kitchen cupboards. If he appeared vacant or aggressive, it was because of the trauma he had been through. His mother had died of cancer when he was five and his father remarried to a cold and demanding woman. She found her stepson's behaviour difficult to control. The relationship between the two fell apart and he grew up in an atmosphere of emotional abuse and neglect. He was beaten regularly and forced to eat meals on his own. The stepmother took Howard to different psychiatrists, trying to find an explanation for his behaviour and was eventually referred to Dr Freeman. Freeman diagnosed him as a schizophrenic. Don't know if I agree with that. No! Look at the trauma he's been yeah. through. He's just acting out because he's traumatised. Also, uh, as a, um, 
it's got a, a lot to process, you know? Yeah, from a young age. I mean, up until the the explanation of to what he's been through, sound like just a regular young boy. Oh, yeah, like a, a boy. Still on the sweets. A wee boy. You know, he fights being a wee bit rebellious. That's not doing as he's told. That sounds like anyone's kid. But, yeah, I think a lot of what he's going through, I totally understand if he's... And he's probably crying out for attention as well. Yeah. This was, which is maybe why he... I think I'm more of a psychiatrist than Dr. Freeman, to be quite honest. In a progress note by Freeman, he has written. So this is about Howard. Okay. He is clever at stealing, but always leaves something behind to show what he's done. If he steals a banana, he throws a peel at the window. He does a good deal of daydreaming and is defiant. He has a vicious expression on his face. Schizophrenic. I think you were bang on about saying uh, crying out for a bit of attention. The fact he's doing rebellious things, but he's leaving things to be caught. Yeah. Um, having a, a how do you describe it? A vicious look in his face. Vicious expression on his face. <laughs> he had a resting bitch I, face. Yeah, I was going to say like how many people nowadays with a resting <laughs> bitch face would struggle with this guy? It's like he se- she seems perfectly normal, but honestly, the sun about her face. Uh, <laughs> Eight weeks later, Dully underwent a lobotomy. The hospital report stated that he went under a transorbital lobotomy. He was awake during this procedure. The operation cost $200 and he survived. He was the youngest patient Freeman had ever operated on. He had his operation at 1.30pm on the 16th of December 1960. He was given a series of electric shocks to sedate him. The rest he can't really remember. He woke up the next day with swollen eyes and bruising around his eyes. He had a fever and recalls a severe pain in his head. He had no idea what happened. He said he felt like a zombie. Today, he doesn't feel any different from anybody else. He works as a bus driver. He gets a lot of eye infections because they destroyed his tear ducts during the operation. Well, first of all, that has to be the worst uh, early Christmas present anyone's ever received. Yeah, definitely. They picked a better time. It didn't do. He says he doesn't feel any different from anyone else. Except now he's got really bad eye infections, which happen regularly. I think he would have been in today's day and age, with proper support and obviously a more advanced knowledge with, like therapy. I think he would have been in a better position than he is now. But you have to. I mean, you have you have a wee boy who's really badly behaved, and so the obvious answer is to stick an ice pick through his skull. Yeah, and pay for it. He would have a vicious look in his face after that, for sure. Yeah. The next person I have is Rose Kennedy. Rose Kennedy is John F. Kennedy's sister. Really? Mm-hmm. Ooh. She was born in 1918, and during her birth, the doctor was running late. The nurse, not wanting the baby to be born without the presence of a doctor, reached up into the birth canal and held the baby in place. This caused lasting damage to her brain due to being deprived of oxygen and caused a mental deficiency. She suffered from seizures. In the 1920s though, mental illness was highly stigmatised. She was eventually sent to a boarding school. The family worked to keep her mental illness quiet and no one knew of it. Probably because they were ashamed, probably? It's completely the nurse's fault. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just wondering, what would have been... The worst case scenario, the baby's born, surely the nurse wouldn't get sacked for that. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
I would rather just deliver the baby and deal with the consequences rather than being like, no, no, it's still there. I've held it. And it's brain damaged. Yeah, I know. The family moved to England and she was placed in a Catholic school run by nuns. They had the time to teach her and she was flourishing. However, shortly after, the family had to move back to the US. Rose's education was abandoned. Once back in the States, she was placed in a convent. However, she would sneak out at night and go to bars, meet strange men and go home with them. Fearing this would have a detrimental impact on their family name, her parents searched for something that would help her. Walter Freeman was the answer. In 1941, when she was 23 years old, she went through a lobotomy. Two holes were drilled into her skull. She was awake during the whole procedure. No one asked her how she felt about this and she'd had no idea it happened. As she was awake during the procedure, the nurses knew it was over when she stopped speaking and it was apparent that something was wrong. She could no longer speak or walk. She was moved into an institution and spent months doing physiotherapy before she regained any movement and it was only partially in one arm. She spent 20 years in the institution, unable to speak, walk or see her family. Her mother came to see her at one point and she attacked her, unable to express herself any other way. At that point, the family realised what they had done and championed rights for mental illness. She was reunited with her family and lived out the rest of her life in St Coletta's, a residential care facility, and she died in 2005. So Rose has had a rough ride. There was no real need for this. She had a rough start to life. And it's probably just because of her rebellious kind of behaviour of, you know, going out. She was 23. If anything, that sounds like a lot of people would do. And it's 1940s, you know, like, people again do that. Um, I ponder as to whether this was another kind of action because of her name. You know, she's Mm. a Kennedy. Almost like a kind of Princess Margaret. Because she was quite a party-like person and they weren't happy about that because of being the royals and that. So I wonder if it's a massive pain in the arse for them. So yeah. like, right, we need to sort this out big time. They've reached, and then they fucked up. Again. She's had, she got fucked, she got fucked over once, fucked over again. But this time, it's way worse. And that is the story of Walter Freeman. What do you think? Walter Freeman and his wicked ways. At the very beginning, I thought... I mean, I know how the story goes. I know this obviously isn't getting used today because you don't hear of it being used today. Mm. I'm sure his intentions, again, like a lot of people were good at the beginning, but I just think he got maybe a little caught up in what he deemed to be like success, early success. I think he just kind of ran with it and it's not really worked out. You've either been the same or you became worse. And probably a lot of the time with a lot of the people he was dealing with, they would be okay. In today's day and age, with, with some therapy or, you know, right medication, but back then, that's... The only obvious answer is to lobotomise people. Yeah. Obviously. I can't. Can you imagine going through that procedure? No. Can you imagine getting put up to it and you're not being, cons- like, consulted on it? So happy that doesn't happen <laughs> nowadays. Any final words? No, I think we're good. I think we're good here. This was fun. I'm, fa- I'm happy we found the time to, to make this podcast. It's good to be back. Yeah, me too. I think that's probably a good time to end it. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you have enjoyed this week's episode of Asylum Stories. And we will see you next week.
Bye. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Bye. Bye.